0: so I want to look together with you at Acts chapter 2 and um, this will be the last in the series. We've been going through the historical account of Jesus resurrecting um, Easter and the 50 days after that and this 50 days um, we've been doing the series on from the tomb to Pentecost and um, we've talked about really some great points. Some of it's been recorded, some of it hasn't, just because of COVID, and we've been meeting in, in, in homes and small groups like this. So this has been great. I like this kind of format, personally. I enjoy this. I feel like we're connecting with people. And, and so in, in Acts chapter 2, let's look at Acts chapter 2. I want to look at a few scriptures together. And then at the end of this, maybe we could just open it up for... Some comments or questions and Acts chapter 2 and I want to just look at verses 1 through uh, 11. And when the, den of, when the day of Pentecost arrived uh, they were all together in one place. Pentecost is a word that comes from the word 50 and it's a marking 50 days after the day of Passover in the Old Testament. The day of Passover was a celebration of when God delivered the Israelites from the captivity in, in Egypt. That was Passover, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed and um, uh, the blood of the lamb was put on the doorposts of the home. And that night when the final plague of, of Egypt uh, happened on, on Egypt, um, the firstborn was spared in the homes that had the blood on the doorposts. There was a lot of symbolism there about... The death and the shedding of the blood of Christ that happened uh, the Friday before the day that we celebrate Easter, that Sunday. And so the timeline of the 50 days, and God is a God of calendars, believe it or not. If you were to take a look at, we've said this before, but if you haven't heard it, then I, I just can really quickly repeat it. That when Jesus is marching, when he's walking through Jerusalem the last week of his life, and just his whole life, it, there is some really beautiful correlations to the Old Testament calendar of what was happening, and so, um, so Pentecost is the day. It's another an, another way to describe it is the Feast of Pentecost, which um, was the celebration of it was a celebration of um, um, a feast that was called Shavuot. And it was a time when uh, God was revealing his covenant to Israel. So let's, let's look at it like this. Israel is delivered from Egypt. They are marching through the wilderness. They, they, lay, they wind up at, the, at Mount Sinai 50 days later after they're delivered. And God comes down on the Mount Sinai, uh, gives the law through Moses to the, to the nation of Israel. And... Uh, Uh, Some consider that as the birth of the nation of Israel. The birth of the nation of Israel. And that was when the law was given, and it was given on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, we'll look at later, uh, is very much in contrast to the Mount Zion that we're called to. And we're going to look at that in a minute in Hebrews chapter 12. And so uh, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. I like details. When I read scripture, I like to look at details. I like to stop and just kind of think about... Okay, it arrived, and they're in one place. There's a theological discussion in the world of theology whether the sovereignty of God um, uh, orchestrated that, or did God wait until um, they were all together in one place and really humble themselves? And so there's this discussion like, uh, did the Holy Spirit fall when the disciples and the apostles all humbled themselves, or did, or did God cause that humility in them and then the spirit fell. And why is that important? Because when we look at something sensational like Pentecost, it's easy for us as human beings. Human nature wants to rubber stamp everything. It wants to franchise everything and say, this is the way to do it. We've got to be in one place in this kind of situation. If we want to see God work, we have to um, all be in this kind of attitude. And we have to kind of conjure up uh, the Holy Spirit. And that's not how it works. We see that in God's sovereign mind and God's beautiful plan that there was a day of Pentecost and he had a plan. And somehow in the sovereign plan of God and in the in the process of the Holy Spirit working in people's hearts, uh, like the disciples to be in that one place that they're supposed to be at, it happens. So I don't want to talk about sovereignty today, but there's that mystery between the will of man and the sovereignty of God. And we don't understand that. And that's okay. There's some things about theology that we can just accept by faith and say, you know, I trust God. Because maybe I don't understand it in my finite mind, but God's got it. And so here they are in this one place, and suddenly there came from a heaven a sound of muddy rushing wind, and it filled the entire house that they were sitting. It reminds me when David, King David, or David the shepherd boy was anointed by Saul, Samuel to be king. And it says, I don't know which version it says it in, but it's described like this. And the Holy Spirit rushed in on him. And this rushing sounds like someone anticipating the companionship of another. Like the Holy Spirit was so in love with the church, was so excited about indwelling human flesh, that it hadn't happened since the fall in the garden, that now the Holy Spirit, God wants to indwell us. We don't get that. We don't understand that. God so desires to dwell in you and I that we don't even understand that. He desires that. The angelic demonic kingdom desires the same thing, but in a different way. Because it's it's the Holy Spirit. And by the way, a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're sealed. So let's just make that clear. But the Holy Spirit here is is like it's it's like a picture of and the holy spirit by the way is not a it's not an energy it's not some nebulous cloud but it's a person it's the spirit of a person when you think about a loved one that has passed on you think about who they are their spirit who they were in Christ who they are in Christ the holy spirit here is in, so in love with the church is so so excited about the plan of God that this is going to happen that now the holy spirit has been waiting generations, centuries and generations for the, the work of Christ to be completed, for Christ to die in the in the flesh in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, and to pay for sin in the flesh. And now now the Holy Spirit, that very sacred, holy, clean, pure spirit of fire, now is it's now God has been given permission by God to enter into the church. And so the Holy Spirit rushes in. It's like not seeing, it's like being at an airport not seeing a relative for a very, very long time. And you're kind of looking at these, you're looking at these closed doors. You ever been at an airport waiting, anticipating somebody to come through those doors and you're really excited about seeing them. And then they come through the door and it's like, you know, and they just kind of run and collide right with, you know, right in everybody, right in front of, you know, right in the middle of the crowd. And they're hugging and the Holy Spirit comes into the church and fills the church like a mighty rushing wind. And it's not, the description here is not that there was like, it didn't, it's not like the wind that we heard like on Thursday with all the wind and the, but it was a, it was a spiritual motion of, of God finally being able, his desire was to indwell his creation and now that it's happening and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. When it says filling, I I really can't spend too much time on these because I want to hit some other stuff here, but. Filling means it was so filled that there was no room for anything else. And that's the way the Holy Spirit fills our life, is that when you and I believe on Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, He comes into our life and He fills us. Um, We are filled. The Holy Spirit never leaves us and He never forsakes us. And God, we are not a hotel where God checks in, hangs out for a while and then checks out. And then maybe later He comes back in. That's That's not how it goes. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple means that Christ moves in and He never leaves. He never leaves us. When we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit, okay, we're sealed. We're sealed like an envelope with an address on it that says to be opened by the addressee only, and that's Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit filling may mean that there are times in my life where God stirs my mind, quickens my mind, opens my mind to understand things in the Word or circumstances in my business, for example. God opens my mind about how to handle something that nobody could ever tell you, but God just gives you this wisdom on how to handle it. The filling of the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5 is something that happens, it should happen, like it's something that we um, seek for on a daily basis. Like, God, fill me. I know you're there. I know I'm sealed. But fill me, quicken me in the spirit of my mind in Ephesians 4 verse 23. So that I wouldn't be thinking carnal earthly thoughts, but that my mind would be sat on things above in Colossians chapter 3. Someone said it like this, that when God saved us, he put his spirit in us. If you leave us alone, this Holy Spirit inside of us will pull us up away from the gravitational pull of the earth. And so now we have a new gravitational pull in our life. Uh, It's the Holy Spirit in our life that that in Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit prays when we don't know how to pray. That's why if we don't know what to pray, or if we don't know what to do, or if we read the Scripture and we don't understand the Scripture, don't fret about it. Because there's a Spirit in you, and it's the Holy Spirit, and He's going to lead you in John 14 into all truth. And so I think sometimes as pastors or as, as Christians, sometimes we want to do the work of the Holy Spirit for somebody else. And we really have to trust God for people. We really do. And, and sometimes not, because sometimes God can't work in another person's life because I'm just too, engaged, I'm too involved. I'm just trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. And I just need to st- sometimes just step back and just pray and say, Lord, I don't know what to do here. And so the, the, cake, the, the Spirit comes in like a rushing wind, filled the entire house where they're sitting, and divided tongues of, as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, this is a very interesting picture. I don't know if you grew up in a Catholic culture, but if you have a Catholic background, the first thing you're going to think of is those old Catholic pictures with the saints with a little fire on their head, and we got to get rid of that picture because that's not what happened here. The, the Holy Spirit, when, we, when the Bible talks about fire, and I think we may need to do another message on this, but when the, when the Bible talks about fire, it's not just talking about a visible flame that's consuming something. It's talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just reserve that for another time to talk about what that is. But it rested on them. I love that because... We think of God in our life thinking like, is God at rest in my life? Or is he kind of like anxious and maybe agitated or, you know, not settled or like comes in and then leaves? Here the Holy Spirit rests on these disciples. The Holy Spirit rests on us. I love that because in, Roman, in the book of Romans, it says that God's gifts, God gives us gifts, spiritual gifts, and he doesn't take them away. They're, they're, they're without repentance God doesn't change his mind about what he's done in your life and I love that because sometimes we think because we're, so, we're such fickle people that if we do something wrong or if that we disobey or we fail in our faith or we have a momentary failure in our thinking we feel like God's going God's to walk away God doesn't walk away he, he stays there and this is the most convicting part about our Christianity is that God doesn't leave he's there He's present right there. And we can sense that. I was talking to one of you. I don't remember who I was talking to here. But you were saying, um, like, Jesus has done so much for me that it just would grieve me to, I can't even imagine that. I would be so grieved to go out and just go sin against that. Like, I would just hurt and crush, you know, what Jesus has done for me. And that's right. That's the Holy Spirit present in your life. Because before, we could go and sin easily, right? we just go out and, blow it and enjoy it but now we have the Holy Spirit in us and when we sin we don't enjoy it <laughs> I don't know but I, I mean you just go I remember as a new believer I just wanted to go out and do what I did and and I went out and did it and I was just so convicted I was so I was so wrecked I was so miserable because there's another spirit inside of me and that spirit is a different spirit of the, than the spirit of the world and so um, it rested on them and they were and so we never have to worry about God not at peace. God is in heaven on his throne. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and his spirit is working in us and we're in the midst of the body of Christ and God is not worried about your christianity. He's not worried about it. We're worried about it. Like am I being good enough? Am I keeping myself? Am I working I mean those are those are questions that only God can like we can be dis- we can be discontented about our own sanctification but that's as far as we can go. We, When we get to that point, we have to be like, God, it is you that works in me to do and to, to will and do of your good pleasure. And I think that when we get convicted or when we feel bad about things in our life, we have to look at God and say, you know what, God, that's where I'm at, I did, and I, I want you to work that into my life and, instead of us trying to do that in our own power. And so the Holy Spirit is resting on them, and the Holy Spirit began to and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. I love this. Now let's, do, let's do a comparison here. Pentecost, the first Pentecost was at Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given, right? Thou shalt not do this, you cannot do that. I don't know about you, but I grew up having to memorize the Ten Commandments until, until I came into a church that preached the finished work. I mean, it took, it took Ten Commandments were like, I mean, we had to have those down pat. And for me to get my first Bible, I really needed to know the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I never learned them because I don't know, but somehow I got a Bible anyway. And, and so the 10 Commandments were given. They were given on a mountain that was on fire, the whole mountain, Mount Sinai. If you read uh, Deuteronomy chapter four and verse 11 and on, it describes that when, that the law of God was given and that there was this fire that was burning up the whole mountain. It was like the wrath and the anger and the holiness of God. And, God told Moses that like I'm going to give you the law. I'm going to give you my my commandments. But but, but this mountain I'm going to come down and this mountain's going to be so holy that nobody can approach it, not even an animal. And if an animal, you know, and if an animal gets close to this and goes beyond the barriers or if a person goes into onto the property of the mountain, they need to be killed. And the, or the or the animal needs to be burned. I was just it was such an uninviting circumstance in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and Exodus 18 and 19 when God gave the Ten Commandments. And it was so scary. It was like thunder and it was lightning and there was earthquakes and the whole, I mean, the whole land was shaking and it was such a terrible event that it it said that the Israelites shouted for fear and they said to Moses, we will listen to you. We cannot listen to this God speaking to us because it's too scary. And so, and so Moses gives the Ten Commandments, and this is the first Pentecost. The second Pentecost is a separate event. Here we see that uh, the fire of God falls; it's now at Mount Zion. And we're going to look. Let's look at Hebrews chapter twelve, and let's read a few verses there. Kind of getting ahead of myself, but Hebrews chapter twelve, some of my favorite verses. And we talked about Hebrews twelve last night a little bit. Uh, we talked about bitterness. And bitterness has a lot to do with what I'm going to say now. Bitterness simply happens in our lives when we stop receiving the grace of God to adjust. God's grace gives us the capacity to to adjust to circumstances. If I stop receiving grace in my life, if I stop adjusting in circumstances by the grace of God, then I'm going to get a root of bitterness. And someone may say, well, this this church hurt me, or or my previous mate hurt injured me or I was abused or it can be whatever and say I'm bitter and everybody can say yeah that was a terrible person you were violated uh, you deserve to be so angry you know how people talk these days right but, but um, or church hurt me and that shouldn't have happened and yes that shouldn't have happened but bitterness happens in our life when we stop receiving the grace of God When I stop understanding that God is for me, that the base of God's plan is the grace of God, the goodness and the kindness of God. And when I stop seeing the basis of God's plan in my life, his sovereign plan is goodness and grace and kindness and and love. When I stop seeing that, I look at God as a fatalistic God like the Islamic ideology, and I begin to think in bitterness. And suddenly I get bitter. And I walk away and I say, those people hurt me or that happened or that church hurt me or this this church split happened. And, hey, do you know who is the most you know who the person in history that has the biggest um, reason to rightfully be bitter? That would be Jesus Christ, because he came to his creation and John chapter one, his creation did not recognize him. They didn't recognize him. He comes to his own religious system. Okay. and they don't recognize him. Actually, they kill him. They do recognize him. Nicodemus says in John 3, we know you're from the Lord, but we're going to kill you. <laughs> They're going to kill you because you're, you're from God. We got it down. We don't need God in our religion anymore. And you're kind of making a mess and you're really upsetting everything. So we got we to get you out of the picture. And so Jesus could have Jesus been the one that could have been rightfully bitter, right? But he didn't. He kept his sweet waters, Joseph, we talked about Joseph last night. And so as a single person, we said this last night, as a single person, I could get bitter and say, you know, I'm not married. God hasn't answered my prayers yet. Um, I haven't found the right person, and I have to do this. Now i got to go out and do it myself. And I've met, we've all met people like that, maybe not all of us, but we've met people like that have said, I'm not married. They get a root of bitterness, and then they go out and they find in their own energy a mate, and it's just it doesn't work out. And I just want to say don't lose your bitterness, look at the plan of God and understand that it's gracious it's kind and God has your God has the best for you and you really have to believe that amen and then the following verses in, in, in Hebrews chapter twelve it goes into verse fifteen and these verses um, we can look at this together um, at verse eighteen um, the writer of Hebrews begins to talk about these two mountains okay so the first Pentecost is um, happening on Mount Sinai where is this? there is this uh, horrible, scary thing going on. The second Pentecost is fire, but now that the law has been fulfilled by Christ, Jesus has resurrected and conquered all of our sins, and we are no longer entrapped by our sin. Now there is a different falling of, of the fire of God, and this is Pentecost, and this is what the writer of Hebrew ri- Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. It says this, But we have not come to what may be may not be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. And he's describing here the, he's talking about Mount Sinai, um, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. I mean, can you imagine the scene on Sinai that it was just this, this, it was this elongated, um, extended, trumpet sound that just didn't stop. I mean can you imagine what that would do psychologically to people? And there's rumbling and there's screaming and people are like, please have that God stop. But now and the writer here of Hebrews is saying we have not come to that mountain. God has not called us to that mountain. I think some churches are still at that mountain. Some of us are at that mountain. Maybe you were at that mountain yesterday. <laughs> You're saying know I'm saying so, you know, like I'm scared of God. I'm like I'm running from God. I'm afraid, I'm worried, and I don't know what's going to happen. and I know God's going to judge me. He's going to kill me, and I'm just waiting for that lightning to come down. And if, you have, if you're a believer and you haven't thought that this week, I don't believe you. Okay? <laughs> there are moments when we really fear God. And there's a healthy fear, but it's not a fear of torment. It's a respect and a love and a reverence. There's a difference between that. We're not called to that mountain, guys. And if you hear a message, right, if you listen to a message somewhere, someone's preaching, or you're listening online, or you got a friend, and you're sitting down, here, and it's like, you got to be good, because God's going to get you. You know, God's going to get you. Like, the, like how, we, how we say it in Texas, where God's going to get you. you. know, It's not the way it is. God has already gotten somebody, and that's Jesus Christ. And now when God disciplines us, it's not to destroy us, but it's to really get us out of the deception of what we think we are, and to put us on the road that is a, 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 an awesome road of the finished work. And so in verse 19, come on in guys, good to see you guys. In verse 19 it says, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. And verse 20, the right of Hebrews is talking about Sinai here, okay? For they, I love house church. That's <laughs> great. love it. For they could not endure the order that was given. They couldn't endure it. Did you get that? God gives the commands to Israel and they couldn't endure it. Remember the conversation that Joshua has with the Israelites? They're about ready to possess the land. And all the Israelites are like, come on, But And all the Israelites are saying, hey, we're ready. We will fulfill the entire command of God. We'll fulfill all of his commandments. You remember what Joshua said? Remember what he said? You can't. You can't do that. It's impossible. You're not going to. Hey, the kids can go upstairs. Can you help them go upstairs to Caleb's room? And so the writer of Hebrews is saying that God gave the commandment, and this is important, get this, God gave the Ten Commandments, not that we would be impeccably following every one of them, but he gave us the commandments, and the book of of Galatians is about this, so that we would understand from an experiential way that there's no way that we can fulfill all the Ten Commandments. That God would prove to us that. Did Did you get that? Paul writes to the Galatians, and maybe you know this already, but I love love this thought. God gave the Ten Commandments to be a teacher to us to show us that we needed a Savior. Marty said it yesterday. Like God has to hide in the boat, Jesus has to hide in the boat, until we can say, Lord, I perish. God gives us the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are successful in my life when I say, God, there's no way I can obey those, and I need a Savior and then Jesus says, "I'm coming to save you, I save you and then he fulfills the law in us in Romans chapter 10 and that's a beautiful second and then and then and then you know what happens it's like I'm no longer worried about my behavior it's in my heart like I don't want to go and kill, steal and destroy I don't want to take somebody's wife I don't want to go steal somebody's stuff why because I respect that person I love that person the way God loves that person you know what I'm saying when and the law is now in my heart, and it's not something I'm trying to obey. It's just who I am. It's just who I am. And So Paul is saying, or the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's saying that, that um, we have not come to this mountain where if a beast touches it, it needs to be stoned. In verse 21, indeed, so terrifying was the, uh, was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Even Moses, the holy man, the, the, the prophet, of, I mean the prophet of God, he says, I tremble. I'm scared. It's pretty bad when the leader of the whole thing who's seen oceans part and he's defeated an entire nation through ten plagues, he goes, guys, I'm scared. <laughs> Most like, I'm not really scared. Israel's like, oh no, we are in trouble. The leader's and the leader's scared. he says, I have trouble with fear, but you have come to the Mount Zion. Now what is Mount Zion? My, is my, Mount Zion is a picture in the New Testament of a mountain of the new covenant? You know, remember when the Bible talks about a mountain, it's always referring to a kingdom. When the Bible says, you should speak to this mountain and it shall be moved and cast into the sea, it's talking about kingdom talk. That we can speak faith, we can speak the mind of Christ and and kingdoms, spiritual, invisible kingdoms that we don't know about, that live in the woodlands, that live in Houston, that live in the Galleria, (laughs) or live wherever you live. You can speak, um, I think Colton was saying this to me on the phone the other day, just start speaking God's mind and and like, because it's the word of God, um, I'm not talking about naming and claiming it. But I'm just saying that when we speak truth, it just recreates things in people's lives because it's a creative word. It's created worlds. It's created universes. And so, and so, um, it says, "You have come to Mount Zion, and listen to what God has called us. God has not called us to the Mount Zion, uh, Sinai, but He's called us to this new place. And let's just park on this for a minute, and I want to get back to Acts two. It says this." that you have been called to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Now, back in Sinai, they're hearing a voice, but they're not seeing a person. They're seeing clouds, fire, a trumpet. Nobody can hear them themselves thinking. And they hear this scary voice, but they don't see a person. Jesus comes, and he's, he's dwelling in the midst of his disciples. And he's, it's the word of God made flesh dwelling among us. This is beautiful. What a beautiful picture that Jesus came, and one writer puts it this way: that Jesus, before Acts chapter two, is dwelling and and spending time with his disciples and talking to them, living life with them for three years, and now Jesus is giving the power, his power, to his disciples. He says, Jesus says, the things that I'm doing, you think that's amazing? You're going to do greater stuff. But we don't believe that. We don't. We just we say, yeah, that's great. That's great theology. But you know, we just get freaked out by. By little things, when the enemy comes, Jesus said, you will do greater stuff. And you know what I'm seeing? God, I'm seeing greater things happening. I really am. I'm seeing in the last few months, just God doing some greater things, like just amazing things. You know, I think that we've, I think in the last two weeks, we've heard about two, four, five or six people making decisions for Christ. Isn't that amazing? Like in two weeks, I think we need to have a baptism in January. I mean, in July. That'd be so great. Um, we've been called to a city of a living God. Like when you communicate with God, when you're in a living fellowship, like yesterday after we were done, and here too it'll probably happen. When we're done, everybody's talking, and there's this life in the room. You know, there's life in the room. You go to some churches, and where we, some gatherings, and people are out the door in seconds. You know, the pastor has to literally sprint to the door to say goodbye to people because <laughs> they're out the door, you know. But, like, here we are in, in the city of the living God, and it says in innumerable numerous, the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable angels. Now, think about that for a minute. Think about that. There's a book called The Unseen World by Michael Heiser, and I'd love to have you guys read it. It's just a beautiful book about the spiritual world that we live in, that there are angels, you know, like, like angels that when we meet together or when you're talking to your neighbor, there's angels going up and down, you know that are in heaven coming down and ministering and and rejoicing and watching you and I share Christ. Or when you may, you and I make a hard decision for Christ, angels are rejoicing. They're seeing that they're being educated about the grace of God. We are, you know, we are surrounded by innumerable angels. Imagine that. Isn't that incredible? We need it. When we drive down 45, we need innumerable or on 1488 or Kirkendall road. You know, we just need innumerable angels. And, um, and the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Don't you love these words? Enrolled in heaven. Like, we are enrolled, you know? When you enroll your kid to go to school, he's in, right? We are enrolled in heaven. We are enrolled. And, and angels and relatives and people, I don't know how all the theology works there, but there is this, there is this excellent, eager awaiting for us to, to walk through the doors of heaven when that day comes, and the judge of all uh, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to jesus in verse twenty four we 're called to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, so now there's a new man on the mountain, and those words are not original to me, somebody else has said that, but there's Moses on the mountain getting the law, and now there's the new man on the mountain as Jesus Christ, and he's the, he's the king he's the leader of a new of a new kingdom, and we are not called into Condemnation and criticism. We really have to be careful how we talk about other people. Okay. I catch I catch myself sometimes just saying stuff. I did it yesterday, and just kind of flippantly saying something about somebody else, not in a gossipy way, but just kind of like. And later on, the Holy Spirit's like, "Who do you think you are? Like to talk like that? I mean, you know, like, aren't I mean, you're the very thing that we kind of just flippantly say about other people. We are so guilty of ourselves ten times more, and so like sometimes we just. So easily, talk about people, their flesh, and just like, just say, like, you know, that's and it's just not, it's not God. And we have to be really, I mean, these are we are sacred people, Do you know what I'm saying? Like, in the business world, you probably know stuff about people that maybe are Christians, and you're like, how can they, how can I, you know? But looking beyond people's flesh and just seeing the sacred Christ that's in them and the Holy Spirit that's in them, and if you're married. And guys, if you're single, this is this is going to be a challenge when you get married, like to daily, on a daily basis, through the Holy Spirit, see Christ in your mate. Because your mate doesn't need your flesh. My mate, my wife doesn't need my flesh, which you can see every day. She needs Christ in me and vice versa. And so, And so, like, relationships are sacred. And the best way that we can prepare for marriage and an eternal, I mean, I say eternal, but like a lasting relationship is that we would see that we learn how to see people in Christ. And if you're thinking seriously about getting married, or if you, if you have someone in mind, we need to ask ourselves our question, do I see that person in Christ? Do I know who they are in Christ? Or do I just know their history in their flesh, okay? And so, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, many, many people leave churches, not because of the pastor, not because of anything else, but because somebody has offended them in the church, right? And that happens. Churches are filled with broken people. And sometimes people will say, I left your church because so-and-so said this or did that. And and it's like, you know, okay, yeah, that's not great, and I don't make an excuse for that. But if we don't receive grace and adjust my grace, what is going to happen is the root of business is going to come in. I'm going to go to the next church, same thing. Next church, same thing. Next church, same thing. And it's going to be the same way every time. So um, the the this, you know, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. And, um, and so Pentecost is about, I want to close with this. Pentecost is about the Holy Spirit coming down and equipping the apostles with a new message. And it's no longer the message. You have to obey these commandments. Um, and if you don't do that, then, and there's no way you can in, in the energy of the flesh. But there's isolation. You are not part of the elite. You're not part of Moses' crowd. Because, you know, the law and legalism and this kind of thinking always produces an elite, an elite group of people that appear to be keeping the whole law, but they're really not. Anything that's not the gospel always produces elitism, racism. Anything that's not the gospel produces segregation. It produces um, economic castes. We don't live in India, but friends of ours that are from India said it's very real there that if you're born in a certain caste you're not getting out of that caste that's a slice of society the gospel there's a new message in, in, um, in, 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 in Acts chapter 2 and that is that is that Christ is risen from the dead sin is no longer have power over you we are no longer under in chains and we are no longer under the power of Egypt and the gods of Egypt and the, and the curses of Egypt And the message is this, is that, and this message, this message that God has been waiting for generations and centuries and he's prophesying and prophets are writing things about this this coming of Christ and his resurrection and this gospel is the main centerpiece of the New Testament. I think when somebody reads Acts chapter 2, depending on what your background is theologically, the people are going to get all wrapped up with the tongues part. But let's just not look at that for a minute. Let's look at what's, what are they talking about. So these are tongues. These are spoken languages that, that people understood in the day. And the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost was a day when everybody is, if you're Jewish, wherever you are, if you're able to get to Jerusalem, you go to Jerusalem. You're in Jerusalem. You're doing your sacrifices. Um, you're paying homage. You're doing this thing. And so at this time in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 2, For these 50 days, up to Acts Acts chapter 2, Jerusalem was packed out with people speaking all these different languages that are Jewish. From all over, from from the Roman Empire, all the way out to the Middle East, up in Turkey. They're coming in from Libya. They're coming in from Egypt. You have all of these nationalities, and it's filled. Can you imagine? Like, it's like the United Nations. It's just packed out with everybody speaking every kind of language. And people that have grown up not speaking Hebrew are not hearing the gospel. You know, you go to the temple and you're really not hearing, you're not hearing the, the services there and the ceremonies in your language. You're, you're hearing it in Hebrew. And if you don't speak Hebrew, you're, you're on the outside. And so here, Acts chapter 2, the gospel's preached in these different languages by these Galileans. And this is really the heart of God That that number one, the message is now different. It's no longer do this and you will live. The message now is it's done. Rest in what Jesus has done. When you get upset about your life and you're upset about your your your, your um, progress spiritually, look at what Jesus has done. He's in you. Jesus wants to obey the law way more than you do. Just let him work through you. Okay? Let him dwell in you. Uh, commune with Christ. And you know what's going to happen? It's like you're not going to be thinking about going out and 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 do what you did before because there's someone now someone new now has your heart that's jesus christ and this and and this is the message that we want to get out we don't want to preach a, a christianity a cultural christ like a like for you to be a spiritual person you've got to talk like this look like this act like this give like this okay uh, whenever we start doing that whenever christianity turns into a culture um god resists that and he breaks it up he sends COVID, <laughs> you know, to get back to the basics. And so um, I love this because we're not called to we're not called to fear and isolation. And only Moses and guys like Moses get to talk to God. And even he's freaked out. Now we are called to We're called to this. And when we are together like this, we can bear each other's burdens. We can pray for each other. We can we can challenge each other. Say, look, you're not thinking right You've got to get out of that kind of thinking, and you've got to start thinking with God about your life. Start thinking higher. And these are just some thoughts here about, about, um, about this. And and the writer of Hebrews ends it this way. He says, this is what we've been called to. And you have a kingdom that's inside you that can't be shaken. You know, COVID and finances and all the world of whatever this is produced causes a lot of shaking, doesn't it? And Chris said it last week, that. Yeah. The presence of God in the Bible always results in a shaking. When We talk about God moving in Houston. God is moving in Houston. There's a lot of shaking going on. Houston downtown's on fire. <laughs> we got COVID going on. We got crazy politics going on. Everything's upside down, but God's in the move. So, um, let's just close the prayer. I've here. <laughs> and um, do we have any comments or any questions or any thoughts that maybe? Have been um, have been uh, stimulated or stirred up by what we're talking about here.